What's up? My name's Sierra. I am Lizzie. And this is What You Missed at, at the, the WC. WC. Welcome back, Hi. our lovely peers and community members. Yes, I hope you're enjoying the weather, the first days of school. Today was glorious. It was very beautiful outside. And today we had beautiful things to talk to you about. We do. Yeah. Well, so as you might know, as you might have picked up on, the Women's Center partners with the LGBTQA plus center a lot. We're besties of centers. Yes. And we work together constantly. Mm -hmm. We have very like overlapping goals, programs, stuff like that. And so we just thought it'd be like a really cool opportunity to kind of talk about the LGBTQA plus center. We wanted to talk about the history of the LGBTQA plus center in specific to like how it's evolved in Lincoln. And then Sierra and I realized we have a really cool opportunity right now because we work really closely with Pat Trent Hall, who is the founding director of the LGBTQA Plus Center, as well as the director of the Women's Center. We could have a history of this, but she was very involved in the creation of this, mm -hmm. the conversations going on about this. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a really cool personal history moment. Yeah, Pat's been super involved in the university for like a really long time. Some fun facts about Pat is like she has her PhD from Kansas State University in social psychology with an emphasis in human cognition and psychology of women, which is really cool. And areas of specialization in human sexuality, gender and gender identity, diversity, inclusion and social justice affairs, and student affairs. So, like, Pat knows so much, has seen this university grow so much over time, and, like, other universities when it comes to LGBTQA plus representation. And so we got the opportunity to sit down and, like, talk to her about her experience, like, going through this, the starting of the LGBTQA plus center, like, what it looked like then versus now, and some really fun, just, like, stories that she was able to share with us. Here's Pat's interview. Yeah. Hi, I'm Pat Tetro, and I'm the director of the LGBTQA Plus Center and the Women's Center at UNL. So we're interviewing Pat today because she can kind of guide us through uh, the history of the LGBTQ Plus Center um, and just along with your personal journey of just like watching the center grow. So yeah, do you want to start off with just kind of how you got associated with UNL or where you started at UNL? I actually first came to UNL to do a postdoc in the law psychology program. Okay. And so I was here for two years for that. And then I worked at Voices of Hope for not quite three years. And I realized that that was very sensitizing work and a bit challenging and not something I wanted to do for years upon years. Mm -hmm. And so there was a new position that opened up here at UNL to develop a sex ed program for the campus. So I applied for it and I got it. Yes. And um, I do have to say the department chair actually said to me, I knew when we hired you, we rounded the corner from conservatism. And so <laughs> I was like, yes. Um, but part of my role was also to be the health center's representative and to work with um, gay and lesbian students. Mm -hmm. And so at the time, that it wasn't anybody's specific job to do that. Um, not that there weren't people who were working with students, but um, it really wasn't anybody's job responsibility. 
And so I immediately became part of the Committee on GLBT Concerns and developed a sex ed program that was comprehensive, inclusive, medically accurate, and it also included a peer sex ed component. And over time, um, one of the peer sex educators, yeah, we were able to do a lot of outreach back then. They actually had mini grants for HIV outreach education. So we used to get a lot of those to do outreach with specific populations on the campus. So did outreach like to the multicultural center, to the black community, to Hispanic, Latinx individuals, um, to the LGBTQA plus community. So awesome. That does sound interesting. Yeah. yeah I um, would you kind of say these were the stepping stones towards the resources we see now at the LGBTQ plus center? Or where was that shift of like, okay, maybe we should start serving this student population? Well, part of why the committee on GLBT concerns put itself together was because there were faculty staff, and I think it was mostly grad students and a couple community members um, who recognized the need and wanted the university to be more progressive, to be more equitable, and to address some of the needs and provide support. And so the committee itself um, started informally as the Homophobia Awareness Committee in 1989. And then by the time I started in 1992, the committee had changed its name to the Committee on Gay and Lesbian Concerns. And we basically were asking that we report to the chancellor. And we were originally assigned to the vice chancellor in student affairs, but eventually we just started making an annual meeting with the chancellor and basically started turning in annual reports to the chancellor. I actually think part of why my position was created was also because of HIV AIDS education that was needed. And so there was another group that was advocating for that, but the committee took that on as well. Um, but because I was hired and I was doing that, that kind of eventually went away. And then we were also advocating for domestic partner benefits. I'm trying to think of all the things because some of our reports were rather lengthy. When I came here to do my postdoc, that kept me pretty busy. Um, so I remember writing letters to the editor though, uh, mm -hmm. because there was still the controversy about whether you should even fund anything that had to do with sexual orientation and gender identity. and. So there were, there, there's always been stages here. And so like Lou Crompton was very visible in terms of the fact that he was one of the first advisor for the, the student group, um, which was the gay action group. And he also taught the first interdisciplinary course in the nation on the pro seminar in homophile studies. And that actually came under scrutiny from some of the legislators. And the university actually really backed up the faculty involved in that that course. So that's probably a lot of where the beginning came from. And then over time, we eventually were able to get the grad student position up to a part-time staff position. And um, it had originally been approved as a full-time position, um, but there were also budget cuts that year. And there were also a few state legislators who were threatening the university's budget if any of the state money went to help fund that position. Wow. Yeah. So the chancellor actually used some of his discretionary funds as the way to fund the position part time until they could find more 
other funds to do that. So a part-time person was hired at D. Moritz, who was here for a little over three years, and then D stepped down, and they asked me if I would do a split position. And the resources for the what was called the GLBT programs and services and student involvement was really small. And so after a year, I basically told them, yeah, I'm not doing this again. And so they found a way to make it full-time, so I applied for it and got it. Um, and there were students at the time who had been advocating again to have a, an actual center. And so they gave me room 342 and <laughs> said, you can start a center. So I started a center. Um, so we've really grown over time. When we started out, I, my office was down in student involvement. The center was up here. And while it was a nice space, it was a small space. And so there was a lot of student involvement, even though I only had one part-time student staff. Um, and a, I initially started off with one volunteer who, I don't know if you know, Brady Davis, but that was my first volunteer. And we eventually got more volunteers involved at the center. I, at one point, had a part-time grad assistant because we wanted to do LGBTQA needs assessment. And so I was given a grad assistant to share for a year. That was really helpful. I also think my law school experience here um, was very helpful in terms of helping me be a better advocate, that whole build your case. And I was already trained really to use research and then apply it. And so basically in advocating for the things we need, I'd go in with data. I would go in with people's stories. Also, the committee was a great support. So we worked together to try to make progress. And so we continued to work on things like domestic partner benefits. It was easier to be involved as an individual and as part of the committee than from my position uh, because I can't actually represent the university from my position. So that approach and going in with how can we work together to make this be better was pretty effective, but it's also a very time consuming and lengthy process. And so- There's a lot of work to be done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So over time, we have moved twice. So eventually um, we were advocating for more space and 345 was a space we thought we might be able to use. The mm -hmm. Environmental Resource Center was in there, but it was actually three rooms. And so one room was a, another student org. And so they basically told the Environmental Resource Center and myself to put together a presentation about why we should have that space. The Environmental Resource Center basically said, we don't need all this space. We haven't cleaned that out in years. So we will just switch places with you. And so we moved into 345. RHA used to be in where the center is now. And so when they moved out, they moved us in there because it was a slightly bigger place. We then started adding additional staffing, undergraduate staffing. So we ended up with 
a grad assistant and four undergraduate staff. And over time, because we didn't have a huge budget, um, we didn't have a lot of resources. And a lot of people really only looked at us as, oh, they just serve some small LGBT population. And so a lot of people, I think, didn't feel like it was relevant issues for them, um, kind of like it is now with a lot of minoritized populations, is that if people don't have an understanding and understand that everything is connected, that if it doesn't impact them more directly, it's not as much of a concern. But I also think that there's a lot of people out there who really do care and who are supportive. And over time, I think attitudes have changed. And so that's one of the things that I see as a benefit of being here for as long as I have is because I can look back and I can go, yeah, we've made significant progress. Both centers originally were under student involvement. So you basically had two professional staff who were acting directors reporting to a director. And it wasn't our, our titles. We could say we were directors, but we weren't true directors. And so when they were reorganizing student affairs, they pulled the two centers out, which meant we didn't really have any infrastructure. And we were reporting to Charlie Foster in her role as assistant vice chancellor for diversity and inclusion in student affairs. Charlie's also the director of OASIS. And so it created a little bit of confusion because people kept saying we were reporting to Charlie and we were part of OASIS but we weren't. But when they pulled OASIS and the Multicultural Center out from under student affairs to put it under the Office of Diversity and Inclusion, that's when the centers went to TJ McDowell as the person over them. So we're now in student life and leadership. And they basically promoted me to be director of both centers. But in order to do that, there's also now an assistant director at each center and a program coordinator who's serves two centers. So technically, there are what's the equivalent of two staff people at each center, even though it's like one and two part time, I guess. But um, it's basically my overall job. So that growth has been good. And, and with all growth, it also means you have to adjust and learn to do things a little bit differently and kind of just figure out your path forward. So I think that my vision was more along the lines of what kind of world do you want to live in? And so if this is the kind of world you want to live in, what do you need to do to get there? So I don't know that I ever had the vision of, I'm going to create a center and become the director. And like, yeah. I never thought of it in those terms. It was more, I think my vision was more based along the lines of everybody should be treated fairly. Everybody should be like, have their, who they are recognized and acknowledged. People People should be educated. I think it was more based on my vision of having a world where people would actually function with kind of social justice values and not necessarily focused on the form that would take. So even when I was doing sex ed, there really wasn't a lot of diversity education going on on the campus. So I actually used to put out a monthly diversity and kind of, it was kind of like ethnic religious holiday calendar because we live in a culture where things are pretty focused on Christianity and we've changed the language. But, you know, really just because we say winter break, um, it does acknowledge on one level that not everybody celebrates 
Christian holidays, but there are so many other holidays. Where the concept of cultural humility comes from is more being aware of your own values, your own culture, uh, being able to self-reflect on how well you're living your values and and trying to live that with integrity. And so that's more been my focus and it just has happened to evolve the way that it has. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for all of that. I um, Yeah, you covered pretty much every question that we had <laughs> without us having to ask most of them. Yeah. Is there any like recent events or things that you would like to say about the LGBTQ+ plus center? for like ending wrap up or any closing remarks in general? I just think that everything will continue to evolve um, and that there has been greater acknowledgement and recognition of the different identities that exist. I know we live in a politically very divisive time, um, but a lot of where the division comes from is because people don't pay attention to facts. And I don't even think they pay attention to their own values. They focus more on perceptions and beliefs. And I think that where that self-reflection component comes in is, do your perceptions and beliefs actually reflect your values. And I think that if we truly value people, that hopefully we end up in a world that reflects those shared values that I think a lot of us have, which is we want to live peacefully. We want things to be fair. We want people to, to belong and feel cared about. So that's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. That's so it's such an important topic. And mm -hmm. it's really the work that you've done really reflects like those beliefs and how far that you've come over the past like 30 years and how much work the university has done. And it's really amazing all the things that you've accomplished in your time here. Well, I would like to say I didn't get it all done on my own. <laughs> um, so I think that that's also important to acknowledge. Um, mm -hmm. I do feel like I've been a catalyst and I've been extremely persistent. Yeah. <laughs> but I also followed people who also were doing the work. And mm -hmm. I know that there's and there's people who have supported me this whole time. Um, so I, I just think, yeah, we all have a role to play. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Pat, for letting us talk to you today. My pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> Don't often get to tell your story. So. <laughs> no, it's so interesting. And so cool. So yeah. yeah. Thank you again. I, yeah, my pleasure. That was so great. Thank you so much, Pat, for sharing all of that with us. We really appreciate having voices here still in our community that just show the progression that has happened mm -hmm. and are still hopeful for the progression that can happen. It's been a journey for quite some time the past few years and I'm excited to learn even more about what the LGBTQA plus center has to come. They're on the third floor located right next to us. So stop by and visit them. Mm -hmm. Stop by and visit us. Follow them on their socials, UNL LGBTQA plus. They have lots of really cool events. They're so cool and lovely and amazing and welcoming. But until then, just shoot us with an email if you got any other comments, questions, concerns for us. Mm -hmm. If you want to volunteer with us, there's volunteering yes. opportunities. Feel free to check out our Insta for that, as well as the LGBTQA Plus Center. They both have volunteer applications. Yeah, so just come hang out with us. I'm Lizzie. And I'm Sierra. Bye. Bye.